Hello, hello, my dear audience. Hello, my known and yet unknown friends. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's Toolbox. Before we start, I want to wish my Christian friends Happy Easter. I know it's it happened two days ago. And to my Jewish friends, Happy Passover, the holiday which started last Wednesday and will end this Thursday. Interesting, Passover and Easter. Easter is a celebrating day of celebrating death and resurrection of one Jewish man, Yeshua ben Miriam, or as Greeks called him later, Jesus, son of Mary. Passover is celebrating mental and emotional death of a large group of Jewish slaves, about two to four million, and their resurrection as a free nation. As Jesus said, for the tree to come forth, the seed must die. For us to become free, fully realized, authentic individuals, the parts of us that are blame, fear, judgment, need for approval, timidity, greed, doubt, and other qualities about which I've been talking to you for the last two years, these parts must die. So both holidays are about death and resurrection. Now a little announcement. I would like to ask you for something. Please go on my website when you have an opportunity, drpeterresnik.com. And on the menu, click on PRN, it's a new uh, <clears throat> choice I have on my menu. Scroll down and you will see a list of six subjects one is living without fear, then 10 commandments and health, memory concentration and test taking, prevention of cancer, cardiovascular health, fibromyalgia, healing fibromyalgia. These are your choices. For the next week's show, choose one and whatever choice the majority of voters or, or people who respond, who, who actually follow my request, uh, whatever majority will uh, choices they will make, I will follow. Uh, and next week, we'll be covering that subject. So please, I want to know, I want to get your feedback. I want to know what you really want to hear first, whether it's about pain in your muscles, fibromyalgia, or heart problems and cardiovascular issues, cancer, and so on, as I listed. But you will have a choice. Anyway, today, as I promised last week, I will speak about ADD and ADHD. Uh, during my talk, if you have a question or want to share your experience of dealing with ADD and ADHD in your life, please call 888-874-4888. Again, 888 874-4888. Uh, you can also uh, send me an email if you cannot call with your comments or questions to drpeterresnik at gmail.com. D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. So A-D-D and A-D-H-D. and then uh, about uh, adults 
with the same diagnosis. The reason for that you will understand as we go on with our talk. Dr. Leon Eisenberg, who passed away at the age of 87 in 2009, uh, has something to do with this diagnosis. He was a prominent figure in the field of child psychiatry, who during the 50s and 60s conducted medical studies of children with developmental problems, including some of the first rigorous studies of autism and attention deficit disorder. As described by the British Medical Journal, Dr. Eisenberg transformed child psychiatry by advocating research into de developmental problems. Something interesting, Dr. Leon Eisenberg, the father of ADHD, said before his death in his interview to a German magazine that ADHD is a prime example of a fictitious disease. One may say, wait a minute, uh, isn't it true? Is it, isn't there indeed a problem with attention and hyperactivity, at least in some children? Well, there must be. The United States produces and consumes approximately 85% of the world's supply of Ritalin. Remember, the United States is only 5% of the world's population. And we consume 85% of the world's readily. Approximately 6 million children, we're talking just children, adults also take, but 6 million children have been diagnosed with ADHD for which the leading treatment is a Ritalin prescription. Then it's really confusing. Then why Dr. Eisenberg, the father of ADHD, called ADHD a prime example of a fictitious disease? If people are taking this medication, it must be working. And it helps with something. The children do better in school, they're more attentive, more compliant. Well, here's what Dr. Peter Bregan thinks about this kind of help. Most of you probably know about Dr. Bregan. I, in fact, I invited my, my regular listeners definitely know because I invited Dr. Bregan as a guest on my show and he invited me two times to talk about my work on his show. Uh, his show airs here on PRN um, on, Wednesday, on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. It's called Dr. Peter Bregan Hour. For those of you who are not familiar with his work, I highly, highly recommend um, to, listen, to, to listen to his show. I think it's fantastic. He invites the most interesting guests. Uh, he is dealing with most important issues of our time these days. So um, that's Peter Bregan. New York Times has called Dr. Bregan as the nation's best known attention def deficit uh, hyperactivity disorder critic. As early as 1991, he coined the acronym, a, a different kind of diagnosis, 
that he called DADD. Most, what he said, most so-called ADHD children are not receiving sufficient attention from their fathers. So what, what we could call it DADD, that is dead attention deficit disorder. Yes. So most, in his experience, uh, uh, most children are not receiving, those who are diagnosed with this hyperactivity disorder, the attention deficit disorder, are not receiving attention from their fathers who are separated from the family uh, to maybe too preoccupied with work or other things, or otherwise impaired in their ability to parent. In many cases, the appropriate disorder would be that uh, DADD, though uh, American Psychiatric Association did not, of course, adopt this new diagnosis. Uh, Dr. Bregan has written 24 books, as far as I know. I may read many of them, uh, and specifically wrote he two, two books um, titled Take, Talking Back to Teridolin and Ridolin Factbook. In these books, he has made claims such as Ridolin works by producing malfunctioning in the brain rather than improving brain function. It's the only way it works. That's what Dr. Bregan said. Together with Fred Bauman, Dr. Bregan testified about the ADHD in the, at the United States Congress. In Congress, Dr. Bregan claimed that there were no specific studies validating ADHD. The children that, who are diagnosed with ADHD needed discipline and better instruction rather than psychiatric drugs. And that therapeutic stimulants are the most addictive drugs known in medicine today. According to Dr. Bregan, 20% of all boys are on Ritalin, which uh, this, this Ritalin uh, affect uh, the same neurotransmitters that are affected by cocaine. But Ritalin, and in fact, there is actually slow-acting Ritalin, it's like a slow-acting, long-lasting cocaine with the same side effects, the same withdrawal symptoms. It acts the same that amphetamines, it's just like Adderall. That's another drug that is prescribed to children. A um, couple of days ago, I watched a video which Dr. Bregan gave, uh, where Dr. Bregan gave an interview to Pam Popper. Remember, I once invited uh, Pam Popper also to a show. To my show. So, and the video was titled How to Help the ADHD Child. It was fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, the last time in, I enjoyed getting a lesson in how to do psychotherapy like this was uh, maybe 15 years ago when I was reading a book written by another psychiatrist, William Glasser, may he rest in peace. Uh, he died a couple of years ago. The, the book was called Counseling with Choice Theory. Dr. Glasser came up with this uh, called, what's called reality therapy. And then 
he renamed it called choice theory. And in the book, he uh, presents 12 cases. And it was so incredible to read this book, uh, because every case was so challenging for me as a therapist with, with a lot of experience. Uh, the, the case is challenging, you think, how will he resolve it? And then you see the master working with, um, with his clients and how things indeed do get resolved. And as, as um, the therapy is called choice therapy, he demonstrates to people how they choose the state, emotional states in which they are. They choose to create their own problems or to react in certain ways. Just today, in fact, um, a student of mine was talking that uh, I, on Tuesday mornings I supervise one of my students and he was telling me about working with a client and she said, my husband makes me miserable, feel miserable. And I, I said to Chris, my student, uh, you needed to interrupt her there because her husband does not make her miserable. Her husband speaks or acts in a certain way. And she feels miserable as a, as a reaction of her interpretation of what he does. Unless he is physically abusive, and then she needs to walk away, of course, and save herself. But unless that is the case, it's her interpretation of what he does, her uh, righteous indignation, her resentment, that makes her feel miserable. And by changing the way she perceives what he does or what he says, she will change for sure how she feels. So going back, uh, going back to Dr. Bragan, uh, how do you respond to parents who say, I put my child on a Ritalin and I don't get complaints from school? His her grades are better. They do better uh, in every possible way. They do what, what I told them to do. They're not ar arguing. Well, according to Dr. Bregan, and that's also my observations, yes, they become robotic. That is typical robotic behavior. Uh, Dr. Bregan, in this video, and I very much would recommend if, if you are willing to spend half an hour of your time, that you watch that video, how to help a DHD child. He tells about the story and um, in which, uh, actually the study in which a bunch of chimp chimpanzees who, uh, who are very close, by the way, to us, to humans, genetically. And they behave very much like little children. They're playful, jumping, quarreling a little. And these chimpanzees were put on Ritalin, on average dose of regiment of Ritalin. After a while, the chimps stopped playing. They would start picking on their skin, chew on the bars, sit quietly just staring at one spot, or engage in activity that was meaningless and robotic. So literally life was taken out of them. 
but they were well behaved. And so that's what happens with children. They would become. Well, children on Ritalin, they get more approval. So the children themselves don't uh, mind because, um, you know, they were constantly getting in trouble and suddenly they take this medication and, and parents are not reprimanding them anymore and uh, teachers are not complaining. So they see the uh, positive effects, but what is happening to them, to their unique personalities? And if you ask them, how are you doing on medication? They say, I'm much calmer. I behave better. I don't get in trouble. So that's what happens when you ch take a child uh, to take medication and, and convince the child that without it, this child is not capable to be responsible for his or her actions. They have a brain disorder. It's a brain problem. So now they excused and, and they take this medication and uh, you have seen probably children who are on, on this kind of medications. Now, how do you help then? Well, first of all, why do some children uh, have this ADD, attention deficit disorder? or ADHD, attention, hyperactivity disorder. And is it true if, if Dr. Eisenberg said it's a fictitious diagnosis? So then what is true? I spoke to a friend of mine, Sarah, who received her master's, a master's degree in special ed. Uh, and she told me that Children with ADHD behavior often have celiac disease. And I did, she told me a little bit, and I did a research on celiac disease. What are the symptoms of celiac disease? Celiac disease is a chronic digestive immune disorder that damages the small intestine. The disease is triggered by eating foods containing gluten. Um, the disease can cause long-lasting digestive problems and keep your body from getting all the nutrients it needs. Now, the symptoms of uh, celiac diseases are bloating, chronic diarrhea, constipation, uh, gas, lactose intolerance due to damage of the small intestines, nausea, vomiting, and pain in the abdomen. Plus, what some claim, and Sarah said, it, it may be one of the causes for uh, ADHD. In fact, the studies have been done. One of the in one of the studies, researchers tested 67 people with ADHD, uh, adults and children. But 67 people with ADHD for celiac disease. And um, in fact, study, uh, participants were aged from the age of 7 till 42. 15% uh, tested positive for celiac disease. That's far higher than incidence of celiac in the general population, which is only 1%.
uh, once they started them on a gluten-free diet, the patients and their parents reported significant improvements in their behavior and functioning improvements uh, on, on the checklist that was given to them. Another study uh, investigated the incidence of ADHD symptoms in people newly diagnosed with a celiac disease. It looked at 132 participants, ranging from toddlers to adults, and reported that ADHD symptomology um, was re re overrepresented among untreated celiac disease patients. Again, a gluten-free diet improved symptoms very quick, very rapidly. Within six months, the symptoms of ADHD uh, disappeared. And, and here is, so the, you, have, you have to consider if you have a child or you, yourself, find that you are hyperactive or, excuse me, just a second. Or, or your child has difficulties concentrating, focusing, you may need to be tested for celiac disease. There is yet another uh, possibility, and I think that it's, it's a strong probability that relates to something that is then later diagnosed as ADD, ADD or ADHD. And that's something neither my friend Sarah nor Dr. Bregan speak about. And these are inborn characteristics that the children come into this world with. Now you will have to go back in your memory, my dear audience, ladies and gentlemen, if you remember, those of you who have been with me for a long time, if you remember, I spoke about human morphology. That is face reading. And what is face reading? Face reading really uh, is about uh, the appearance of people represented um, uh, by different temperaments. That is, different temperaments um, uh, look, people with different temperaments look differently. And, and so this body of knowledge was systematized uh, from the times of ancient Egyptians. And so the study of face reading appeared. Um, uh, in fact, Waldorf School, originated by a Christian mystic and philosopher, Rudolf Steiner, it's the most successful uh, in the world school uh, with a, of alternative education. That school requires that the teachers study face reading. Why? Because when you look at the face, you can recognize a temperament, and all people are divided according to human morphology, are divided in four basic temperaments. Uh, and some temperaments, are, well, let, let me give you the names, bilious, uh, uh, nervous, sanguine, and lymphatic. Just keep in mind, bilious, nervous, sanguine, and lymphatic. Um, and I, I once I think I spent one whole hour, maybe even two hours, speaking about different temperaments and how to recognize who is who. So some temperaments, uh, by nature, 
little children already exhibit certain behavior of of being slow, of being compliant, um, of being friendly, um, of being able to sit quietly and in one place and play play their their toys, not exploring the space around them. And some kids just have to move all the time and are very active. Some children learn to speak at young age, some people at much older age. I'm very sorry if you hear a little banging. You know, I'm talking to you from my apartment and it's an apartment building. It's very nice, but uh, somewhere they upstairs, I think they're doing some repairs and there is nothing I can do about it. Uh, I hope it does not disturb you. Um, anyway, so depending on the temperament, some child will be more attentive and some child will be less attentive, some is more hyper, some less. And the important thing, and according to Rudolf Steiner, children need to be allowed first to express who they are. In fact, in the beginning of 20th century, Rudolf Steiner insisted that in his schools, they did not teach reading, which is very organized, deliberate, and constrictive, uh, till the second grade. He was afraid of making children out of children little robots. So he was interested in teaching them only through experience. So they would go and play in a garden and and let's say counting would be a taught through uh, getting one flower, counting the flowers um, or, or digging uh, up uh, around the trees in the spring and so on. It was only experiential or only exploring the world rather than um, having strict, strict boundaries for exploration. Uh, reading is also exploration about life, uh, learning things, but very uh, particular has strict boundaries and children need to first express who they are. Um, so let me let me read to you something uh, I show in my book. I told you that I wrote a book called Face Reading Secrets for Successful Relationships, uh, in which I talk about different temperaments represented uh, by different shapes of profile and uh, face. And I, I was just looking uh, the other day for an example in my book. And I found here a little story I tell. A young woman came to my office and shared with me about uh, that, among other issues, her son was diagnosed as hyperactive and was prescribed medication by psychiatry. Further inquiry revealed that although headstrong, her six-year-old boy behaved quite normally. However, he was not willing to go to sleep till late at night. This worried his parents and was confirmed by the um, pediatrician as abnormal. Both parents happened to be of the lymphatic temperament. Uh, my readers at this point when I'm writing already know what lymphatic temperament and I will tell you what it is. Usually, oh, here, here it's written lymphatic temperament, which usually requires a lot of sleep. Again, lymphatic uh, temperament person 
usually is moving slowly. They speak quietly. Uh, they are not aggressive at all. They are not so much into exploring rather than uh, in contemplating. And if they're playing, they're playing uh, very carefully, very deliberately. But listen to this. Uh, so, so lymphatic, they need a lot of sleep. After getting education about differences in morphological types, with my encouragement, the boy, the boy's parents decided to take him off medication. They simply allowed their son to play till he would get tired and go to sleep when he was ready. Today, three years later, the boy is a very healthy, well-adjusted, and balanced individual. Now, I have to tell you, I know this family, and the book was written in 2016, so seven years ago. So uh, this boy now, uh, first of all, last year, at the age of 15, he graduated from high school. Now he he is already in college at the age of 16, a bright kid, but still very active. I wouldn't call him hyperactive, but very active, uh, expresses himself clearly with, with a passion and indeed his temperament. He happened to be what we call a bilious temperament. A bilious, for one, a bilious doesn't need more than four, four, five hours of sleep. That's natural for them. There was no, they, the, his parents just did not know better. They felt, you know, if they need to sleep eight hours, you know, the child is not normal. If he, after, after going to sleep at uh, eight or nine, when they would, uh, they felt when he was six years old, it was a normal thing. All children go to sleep at nine. And by one o'clock, he's already waking up. So when, once I explained to them the problem, and they negotiated with him, and, and the bilious temperament, they are very reasonable. If you negotiate with them with full respect of their energy, they're quite compliant. So they actually, um, this is now like a bigger story, because in the book, I wrote very little. Uh, I, I asked them, you know, to go to sleep as they go usually at 9.30, 10. And he usually stayed up till 12. And they, he actually told them. And then he would fall asleep. And at 5, he would be up full of energy. So very, I believe it's very important if somebody is having uh, problems with, uh, with their children to explore uh, to learn about temperaments. In fact, I'm thinking about writing another book on face reading uh, called called uh, Child Rearing, the secrets of the face reading secrets for successful child rearing. This was for successful relationships. And, and the, the new one will be for successful child rearing. That is teaching children, um, adults, how to treat their children according to their temperament, uh, and also to learn their your own temperament, so that you know where your reactions come from. Because if, let's say if you are if you are like in this situation, a lymphatic, you may feel resentful of this child who never stops moving, and so on and so on. In fact, I have to tell you, I grew up. Now I'm kind of half 
the temperament can adjust with with the decades, not years, but decades of uh, years of life. Um, the temperament adjusts. Now I am what is called nervous slash bilious, uh, part bilious, part nervous temperament. But when I was a child, I was a pure nervous. And I remember actually being in, in second or third grade, definitely, definitely at that time. And we were, thankfully, uh, 60 years ago, there was no riddle in the psychiatrist. Children were not sent to psychiatrists if they misbehaved. The worst is their parents were called to school. And I remember sitting, and God bless my teacher, you know, because she probably did something right. In... in um, schools in the Soviet Union, you go till fifth grade with one teacher. And I remember being in the second grade. And a nervous temperament is is an explorer, they think very fast, and they jump from one subject to another. And I was sitting in the back, uh, I chose that seat in the back, uh, at, at the back desk with you sit, you share a desk with somebody else. <clears throat> and I was sitting in the back. And I was looking at the window, I was looking at the backs of all of my classmates, and I was, you know, moving all the time. And my teacher probably recognized it because I remember she actually, and she said, and uh, Peter Reznik, Peter Reznik will sit now in the first row, right in front of her. So I already had limited access to information because I was swallowing too much and digesting so much information, what's happening outside of the of the classroom, uh, and what's happening with every person in front of me. Here, I had only teacher, but there was then another problem. And the problem was that when because I remember the nervous temperament thinks faster than anybody else, when the teacher would ask a question, and you know, we were taught to, to have both hands on the desk, fold it in front of us. And if you have a question, or you want to, to answer a teacher's question, you slowly you lift your right hand and put put it up and show the teacher that you want to speak. But of course, the moment the teacher would ask a question in the class, I would yell out the answer. And for that, you know, I'm sure that like, you know, these days, the teacher would call my parents and say, you know, this child needs a psychiatrist, he needs Ritalin. But I, I vaguely remember the face of this teacher, but I, I remember that she actually did a little trick with me. And that's how she quieted me down, because I was really disruptive. I, I was answering before anybody. It's not that other people didn't know that I'm, I'm talking about being seven, eight years old. <clears throat> It's not that they did not know the answers. It's just I didn't have the patience to wait. Uh, I needed to blur it out. And so she said to me, she left me uh, one time, made me stay with her. And she said, Peter, you're such a bright boy. And I know, I know that uh, you have the answers. And let's do a deal with you uh, or like an agreement. We'll see if your answers are always correct, but I need to give the opportunity for to other children to to show their knowledge. So children will resent you, and I will have to punish you. And I don't want to do it. Let's agree this. We do this. You, when I ask a question, 
as quickly as you can. Before anybody answers my question, you write down the answer. And then when somebody gives the answer, I will go and look what you wrote and we'll see whether or not you were right. And I felt so honored. I felt so special. You know, it felt good. My teacher singled me out, but basically she was saving her class. And uh, it worked. I think that within, I don't remember them having problems. I just remember this. In fact, when I decided to talk about ADHD, that's when I, I remembered this, this story. Uh, but all these years, <laughs> for 60 years, I didn't think about it. That that teacher was a wonderful, wonderful teacher. She found a way, a way to deal with me. You know, there was a Russian um, writer, Maxim Gorky, and he said, every person uh, has a string, you know, like a guitar. Every person has a string. You just need to find it and touch it and it will begin to sing. So, and this teacher found my string and that, that the string was, I needed to be first. I needed to be number one. And she gave it to me without making me not disrupt the class, but still made me shine. And I, uh, I think it was very good. It, I think it was a fantastic approach. So uh, that's, I, I am telling this to you also because you may observe someone who acts this way and rather than resenting or thinking that they need to be fixed or need to be treated, uh, you may want to, to help them uh, to find a way for them to accomplish what they want without feeling bad about themselves, to see how their uh, affliction can become a blessing. You know, there is a Hebrew word actually, nega, which means affliction. But if you turn it upside down, it reads onek, it's blessing. So uh, you can look if you're interested and find a way to make something a blessing or just, but you need to have the intention to do that. Uh, do we have any callers? No, I don't see any callers. I want to pause and let you call. Uh, otherwise, I will keep talking. You know, uh, but I really, uh, I really want to see if anybody has a question or wants to share the experience of dealing with ADHD. I, 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 by the way, I have to tell you. While I'm waiting for your call, I have to tell you that even now, I think I don't have. ADHD, hyperactivity, I'm not hyperactive now, but I think I still have ADD. I, by the way, I have three graduate degrees. And yet I think I have ADD. Why? Because, you know, I find myself attention deficit disorder, which means I focus, I read something and boom, before I know it, my mind is wandering, I'm thinking about something else. And then I have to pull myself back. Particularly if I do something, read something repetitive, like I I pray every morning, and it's a 25-minute to 30-minute prayer every morning. But I know prayers by heart now. I discovered if I keep saying it by heart, I and in my mind, before I know it, my I keep saying the prayer, 
I, I say it in my mind, and at the same time, I have another truck running. Other thoughts begin to come. So I discovered a tool. I started reading out loud. And that a little prevents me from my thoughts running away. But still, it's challenging. It doesn't mean that you're not able to accomplish something. It means that it will take you a little more of an effort. And who said you, sh you, you shouldn't make an effort? So anyway, um, you know, I, I do think that I, to some degree, I have, there are people who can sit down and, and work for very a long time and be not that dis distracted, but I can't. And again, it's because of the nervous mind, uh, nervous temperament. The, temp the mind of the nervous temperament is, is fast, but it runs on many, many channels. So over the years, I had to learn to to control my mind, and it's possible. I, you know, I give lectures, I gave thousands of lectures, and uh, uh, now for two, almost for two and a half years, I speak at PRN, um, which was as being the most difficult thing because I'm used to seeing people interact with them, and here I'm talking in the into the computer, you know. <laughs> so, and yet you get used to it. Um, you probably notice still again with the ADD, I can talk about something and then other thoughts jump in. And if I find them appropriate, I share with, with, with them with you and then I go back and forth and so on. But you, you can be quite functional having ADD. But in general, uh, I, I would say when you study, if you have difficulties, if you're an adult now, and if you have difficulties concentrating, remember what they do in schools in, um, or in universities, the classes around between 45 minutes and an hour and a half. That's excruciating. It's impossible. Do you know how what our attention span is? And Fitch not hand, Fitch not hand, Vietnamese Buddhist monk, one of the greatest teachers of meditation and spirituality of our time. He founded in France what is called Plum Village, where he teaches uh, people who are interested in Buddhism and teaches values and uh, meditation and, and human, humanness. Uh, a beautiful, beautiful human being. In fact, I... Uh, read his several of his books, my favorite is love in every step. And he says, you know, if I ask you now before I tell you what he says, what is the longest time that we can focus without being interrupted without being distracted at all? What think what comes to your mind? Well, I will tell you, Thichnat Han said, that he managed because he is a great meditator he has tremendous will to control his mind he managed to focus without being distracted for 16 seconds so peter resnick probably gets distracted every 10 seconds <laughs> i don't know about you but you know i'm talking to you of course i'm talking to you now to you i'm not imagining you i'm talking into a computer and i just kind of in my mind i have this 
image of a crowd of thousand people yeah, somewhere listening. But at the same time, you know, as, as I talk and I'm looking to the computer, uh, uh, why computer? Because there is a logo here, PRN, and I'm imagining this is my microphone, even though I know the microphone is coming from somewhere down here in, on the computer itself. So, but that helps me to, to vision, you know, that I have this crowd and I talk to them. But at the same time, you know, my eyes then go on my bookshelf because I'm sitting in front of the bookshelf. And then my eyes go on the picture of me and my children. And then I look in the window and then I hear someone knocking and, and it doesn't stop. But it's okay. So, but the more, the like, since our attention span is so short, then we get distracted. But what happens after 15, 10 seconds, we go back. But after a while, this being distracted and going back, it becomes overwhelming. So for 45 minutes, going back and forth, going back and forth and focusing, it's excruciating, really. So... Uh, those who have difficulties focusing, I usually recommend to study never, for never longer than 15 minutes. So here, here is what I suggest. You decide, and we'll give you an exercise, mental imagery exercise of how to bring yourself to, to order, to focus. Oh, let me see. Oh, somebody does is calling. Yeah, okay, I will give you a little bit later the, this exercise. But um, let me answer to E.K. from Pennsylvania. Hi, E.K. You're on the air. Hey. hey, Dr. Resnick. How are you? I am good. How are you? Thanks for calling. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. And hi to your audience as well. Mm, how uh, You have a question or a comment? Yeah, I have a comment. Um... So I was a teacher. I'm recently retired. And uh -huh. um, I remember some of my students that were um, diagnosed with ADD and ADHD. Uh -huh. And some of the students were put on Ritalin, as you were talking about earlier. Yes. And some of the students were affected by it more than other students. I noticed, mm -hmm. and um, uh, a few of my students were um, almost lifeless. You know, they just kind of sat in a chair, and and they really didn't participate very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and it was it was really troubling to see that. I felt I felt bad for the students, you know, that that had that kind of reaction to that drug, and I often wondered if it was the right thing for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing. You know, it's so tragic. I've seen a number of children and adults on these medications, and they're just like the way you're describing, you know, lifeless, lifeless, mm -hmm. just like just like those chimps, chimpanzees that Dr. Bregan was describing. Suddenly they lose interest. And, and yes, some people are not affected to that degree. But I have seen a lot of people who, um, who become uh, kind of have almost like a, a veil in front of them, you know, like a cloud. They see everything. And they, actually, their movements are slower. They speak slower. And, and probably their parents 
happy if it's a child and suddenly a child, and particularly if they have many children, and parents are overwhelmed. And here, educated, uh, respected doctors tell them, you, you need to put this child on medication that will help. So they trust the doctors. And so suddenly they see that their child is really not giving them trouble. So they're happy. But yes, it, yeah. it's very tragic. Yeah, yeah. Anything else yeah, you want it, to it, share? Yeah, it was just disturbing to see that. And, um, you know, some of the teachers, some of us, we, we have a lot of students in the classroom, sometimes 30 plus. And so it, it is a relief in a way not to have so much disruption, but at the same time, it's it's very disturbing, you know, to see a student go from uh, uh, one end of the spectrum to the other, you know. So I always wondered if there was just a better way. And, and what, you, what you were saying makes a lot of sense is that, that we just have to engage students, you know, in a different way. In I a different way. Yeah. Um, Okay, that's yeah. exactly what this is the key what you just said in a different each child has mm -hmm. a different way of perceiving reality. And when they are engaged in a loving and, and respectful way, they respond. That's they true. Respond. That's true. I noticed you, that when we came, um, well, we were on COVID um, uh, for over a year, we were home. Um, virtually teaching. And then when we went back, um, teaching was a little bit different. Uh, we there, there were so many, um, I guess, kind of original ways of, of reaching the student while we were on COVID. We learned a lot. Um, and we kind of brought that back to the classroom. Mm -hmm. And um, there were just certain games that that engaged the students, but also taught the students very well at the same time. And so I, I just noticed that after COVID, in my case, yeah. there was there was more student engagement, you know, and, and less um, riffraff, so to speak, uh, because the, the way we taught is, was very different. We had so many different um, resources I felt and um, and more to choose from and you know so if I came into my class and the students would be like oh can we can we learn from GimKit today you know which is um, kind of like a, a computer way of learning uh, like vocabulary I'm I was a Spanish teacher and by the way I had two of your children you know I don't know if you remember that I called in before but I I, I do know your children Aaron and and Anna you know? really oh, wow. <laughs> oh, oh, didn't you? Oh, you are the one who called when I was uh, interviewing Aaron about pickleball, right? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. You know, Aaron has such beautiful memories from his school. He loved it. He loved it. And he speaks Spanish, by the way. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks to you. <laughs> you speak Spanish, in, in fact, quite well. So it's nice. I'm so happy that you called. Anyway, oh, thank you very much. Yeah. I have some another call. Thank you very much, E.K., for calling, okay? Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye.
We have Mitch from Book Brooklyn. Hello, Mitch. Hi. Yeah, how are you? Uh, how are you? Uh, now, uh, I'm I'm uh, 65 years old. Uh-huh. And I remember me going to school in my day. There was no such thing as an ADA school and putting kids on drugs. Mm-hmm. That was unheard of. Is this an a phenomenon that has happened here recently, and why is it that there's not an alternative to putting kids on drugs? There has to be some type of alternative, you know, because I can't remember us being nobody being on no drugs for nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, what do you think? What do you think? Why? What is your opinion? Why is it that they started putting children on drugs? What is your opinion? Well, I would say that it's pharmaceutical, and it's a way of uh, really, you know, just not really diagnosing children themselves, making it say, well, it's easier to put you on drugs than to try some, uh, uh, say, uh, meditation or yoga or or some type of uh, therapy that would help you besides putting you on some type of drug. Yeah, Mitch, you know, you answered it. You answered it. I, I, I mean, we, we are the same. We are from the same age group. You are 65. I'm 68. We, we never heard of anything. Like, you heard my story. You know, I would be put now, God forbid, if I would be growing up now, I definitely would be on medication. So... It's tragic, but I think it, I agree with you. It's pharmaceutical companies and also not only pharmaceutical companies. I tell you, uh, I, my conversation with Dr. Bregan, you know, I'm very honored, you know, he now has become a friend. And he actually, the first time I read Dr. Bregan's book was 30 years ago, where he um, called Toxic Psychiatry. And, and he says, look, to do what you suggested, Mitch, some kind of therapy, you need to spend with the patient an hour. You need to be patient. Patient. You need to be uh, uh, creative. You need really to make an effort and to open your heart to connect with the with the patient. And you spend the whole hour, and you get paid whatever. Thirty years ago, maybe it was two hundred dollars for a psychiatrist, or one hundred fifty dollars. But now psychiatrists see five to six patients. Every 10 minutes, a patient, and they prescribe medication, next patient, and they get the same amount of money for in 10 minutes. Yeah. So instead of making $200, they make, made then $1,200. And now if they charge $400 for, for seeing a patient, uh, they, they make 2000 in one hour. It's all, it's yeah. money. It's, it's frightening even to admit that it's all about money, that people can be heartless. And I, I, I personally know one person I, I don't, uh, that, you know, I asked him, he's a psychiatrist, and I said, do you do sometimes psychotherapy? And he said to me, I don't believe in psychotherapy. It's a waste of time. You give medication, it works. Finished. I am a psychopharmacologist. Oh, yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I, in my mind, I didn't want to have a fight. There was no reason he made his livelihood by drugging people. But when he said, 
I am a psychopharmacologist. I, in my mind, I said, but you used to be a person, you know. My next-door neighbor, now, he was telling me one day that this, this little boy, they wanted to put him on some medication. First, they had to go to a, a social worker. He said that cost him $600. Then they had to go to a, a psychiatrist. That cost him almost $1,000. So he said before he could even get any medications at all that they said his yeah. child needed, he had to put out about $1,200 out of his pocket. You know, so it's just this is a terrible racket going on, and then you wonder why you have the mass shootings and the other nonsense right. going on yes. with our kids. Yes. yes, and nobody explores. Although now they started questioning, some representatives, Congress people started questioning it because uh, a lot of these people, uh, shooters, uh, are on medication, and if you look at the side effects, actually it says. Uh, for example, anti-anxiety or anti-psychotic medications uh, can produce uh, violent outbursts um, and produce suicidal ideations, homicidal ideations. So it's even written in the side effects, and yet still medication, uh, these medications are prescribed. But I want us to end to this show, Mitch, with something positive. And, and I, I want to say, you know, the positive thing is that people like you, Mitch, who are calling and speaking up now, like you are saying it, and I assume you're not the only person who understands it, and more and more people understand that dragging our children or dragging our adults is not the way. And as we have more understanding, people, uh, and people, I hope, read Dr. Bregan's book, uh, for example, the one I'm looking at right now in front of me, my bookshelf, uh, it's called, Dr. Peter Bregan, uh, your drug may be your problem. So buy any books uh, by Peter Bregan. And, but fortunately, now more and more psychiatrists speak up against psychiatric, psychiatric drugs. So, and as people's awareness is growing, hopefully, Mitch, we'll see, we'll live to see changes. Thank you very much yeah, for they were putting kindergarten children on these medications. Yeah, yeah. I have a friend, she's a nurse, and she, she says, well, I have to go to these schools to make sure that the kids' medications is all at kindergarten. Yes, all yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mitch, thank, thank you. you very much for calling. Uh, my time is up here on the show. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you again. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, um, I have to wrap up. The show is almost, the time is almost up. And uh, I want to thank you for joining me today. Uh, I wish you a wonderful, wonderful week. Be happy. Peace to all who want to live in peace.